0: This is 1988 Tops, where every card has a story to tell. Your hosts are David McKellis and Matt Kuzma. Let's play ball. Welcome back to 1988 Tops. David, what's our card for this week? Our card this week is Pascual Perez,
1: pitcher for the Montreal Expos, number 647.
0: I've definitely been looking forward to this one. Before we get to Pasquale, we have some follow-up from Steve Lombardozzi last week.
1: We talked about ZZ names. We remembered a couple and couldn't think of more than t- two. Mike Piazza, I think, being one of them. I suggested that I could not find a good search on baseball reference, and I feel like former guest Adam Dorowski, felt compelled to send us a good list of ZZ baseball names. So thank you, Adam, for giving us a few ZZ names. Tony Lazeri, Lee Mazzilli, Z- Jake Odorizzi, Tom Pagnazzi. He's the other 1988 Tops card with two Zs, other than all of the Aussies that we've already talked about. Uh, Mike Piazza, Anthony Rizzo, Chicago Cub, and Phil Rizzuto. So we missed two Hall of Famers there, Tony Lazzari and Phil Rizzuto. And there's currently three active players with ZZ last names Rizzo Jake Odorizzi and Chris Mazza who's a pitcher for the the Rays so thank you Adam for sending that list along if and at some point we're going to have to get to Tom Pagnazzi because he was on that 87 Cardinals team that played against Steve Lombardozzi so that was the the ZZ top world series (laughs) oof sorry
0: Thank you, Adam, for letting us know he has top secret access to the baseball reference database and could do that kind of advanced search. So, Or maybe just a better memory than us. Definitely that too. Well, glad we could clear out that item. But now let's go to our card in Pasqual Perez in number 647. This was suggested by a listener.
1: Pasquale came up on a recent episode. He was also suggested by a listener in an email. We always love email suggestions. Michael P., he found the pod and enjoyed the Kirk McCaskill episode and suggested, on the list of other Canadian players, Pasqual Perez from the 88 Expos. We delayed this one a little bit because we knew Pasqual might be a fun topic to talk about, and also we knew that there is a tragic side to Pasqual's story, and he has come up a couple times on this podcast, once in the Andy Hawkins episode in reference to a not-quite-no-hitter, and once in the Gerald Perry episode for a brawl. So Pasquale was a, a troubled character in his time in the major leagues, and he met a tragic end, but he also is one of the best characters in the 1988 top set. And so maybe let's try to focus on the joy that he brought to the game in his career.
0: I loved him when... Around this time in 1988, 1989, living in Atlanta I is really when I started following baseball and collecting baseball cards more. My best friend at the time was a big New York Mets fan, and we would watch Braves games and watch Mets games together uh, because those were the superstations, TBS and WOR would, would show those games. We wouldn't watch Cubs games very much at that time, but Pascual Perez being in the NL East meant that we saw Expo's games quite a lot. The gold tooth, his pitching delivery, so many things that we're going to talk about, about his character, about his personality, how he played. He, he was just a character in the division that we you know, often were, were talking about. So I was excited to to then look at back at some of the video and prep for this episode. This is going to be a lot of fun.
1: And this is another one of those airbrushed cards. The front of this card, you have... I mean, no airbrushing on Pasqual on that smile, but airbrushed hat. And so we had to refer to the expert at Painted Cap on Twitter, talked about this Pasquale Perez card and said the artist's motivation was he was signed as a free agent with the Expos, the top's Art Techniques, Classic Brush Stroke, Button Doctoring, Intermediate Wrinkle Texture, and T-Shirt Touch-Up.
0: <laughs> so, yeah you're look, looking at this card you can tell those those techniques were put in place because this it looks pretty weird the <laughs> the logo on the hat definitely doesn't look right it it definitely looks like
1: you could clearly see paint brush strokes on that hat it, <laughs> it's it's a terrible paint job
0: <laughs> it's pretty bad it's pretty bad but but pasquale looks great it's, yes. It's,
1: they it's... painted on a t-shirt <laughs> <laughs> underneath this buttoned up jersey too. It's just so, it, this is what is really bad. And it also made me question, when I look at this now, I I think back to when I would have been seven or eight years old. I don't think I realized that these jerseys were painted on. I just knew that some of the cards looked weird. Was I not very bright <laughs> this is a terrible painting
0: I, I think So I think that we can accurately say That this was a painting maneuver That was effective enough to fool a child <laughs> <laughs> So yes It was good enough to fool you at age 10 But right. not but not any better than that Well so, I'm glad
1: to know That I have progressed In my <laughs> art appreciation since 1988
0: David It really looks like Pasquale inspires all sorts of artistic impression and artistic interpretation so it seems appropriate that the painted cap has this kind of advanced technique as well
1: very true and if you look at his other cards maybe we should just include a, a link to every Pasqual perez baseball card mm. there's so many good pictures of him both in action on the bench there's always a ton of hair <laughs>
0: <laughs> in different yeah. poses the it's 1990 the 1990 tops you know from the profile and his hair is just the 88 Donruss.
1: yeah in oh, is that the one where he's wearing the silky jacket
0: yeah oh it's just excellent so uh, a big character we'll look forward to getting to go into the back of the card pasquale is listed as 62163 i think that is our first weight that's down to the single pound as opposed to a zero or five.
1: It's so precise. I like, did he have a big lunch and said like, (laughs) no, 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 put down 163. Uh, Most of them are, yeah, zeros or fives. That also seems maybe generous for Pasquale in a lot of the videos. He is a very thin guy and very tall and very lanky.
0: Yeah. 163 is, yeah, after a big breakfast, right-handed pitcher and and batter, Signed by the Pirates as a free agent in nineteen seventy-six, born May 17th, 1957, San Cristobal, Dominican Republic.
1: And other notables from San Cristobal, other than the Perez family, Raul Mondesi, a former ball player who went on to be mayor from 2010 to 2016, and then in 2017 was found guilty of embezzling up to six million dollars and sentenced Ooh. to eight years in prison. Uh, for corruption and mishandling of public funds during his term as mayor. So that's a great baseball history, including other guys like Jose Rijo, Ivan Nova, Jose Guillen, Pedro Strope, and the many Perez brothers.
0: Yeah, and that's the fun fact that his brother Melito pitched with the Kansas City Royals in 1987, but six of the Perez brothers ended up pitching professionally.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure of the exact birth order here. I think Pascual was the oldest born in 57, Melito was born in 1966, and Carlos was 14 years younger than Pascual, born in 1971. I think he was the youngest. Other brothers, Valerio, Ruben Dario, and Vladimir, all pitched in minor league baseball. Their father, Chicho Gross, Juan Pablo Gross, Pascual's name was Pascual Gross Perez. They took their mother's last name, but their father's name was Chicho, taught the sons to pitch using coconuts and he said strike out somebody with a coconut and baseball is no problem (laughs) which sounds like if you can dodge a wrench you can dodge a ball but so they got strong throwing coconuts and there's a 1990 sports illustrated article about all of these brothers and it is very entertaining and there's a lot of interviews with these kind of just wacky brothers and but also incredibly talented baseball-playing brothers.
0: That is awesome. This reminds me of Tony Pena's mom, who taught him to catch.
1: Yes, and Chicho taught all of these brothers to throw hard, and six of them, and I think they were all pitchers, too. So really, at least the three who made it to the major leagues were all pitchers.
0: So Pascual signed as a free agent. At 19 years old in 1976,
1: he has kind of a long minor league career with the Pirates. And if you look at the stats, you know, not nothing really jumps out. He made a pretty big jump from single A in 1978 to triple A in 1979 and, you know, went 12 and 10 with a 4.05 ERA in 1980 to get called up to the big leagues for the defending World Series champ Pirates. He had a couple uneventful seasons with the Pirates, pitched in 19 games over two seasons, and in 1982 was traded to Atlanta for Larry McWilliams. McWilliams was having a kind of rough year with Atlanta, and after the trade, he had a career resurgence in Pittsburgh with a couple winning seasons. Pascual goes to the Braves, well, to their AAA affiliate at first, and goes 5-0 with a 1.26 ERA to earn a late July call up to the, at the time, first place Atlanta Braves.
0: So really big move for Pasqual in 1982. The change of scenery changed his fortunes quite a bit.
1: The change of scenery also led to an incident that Pasqual is most famous for. Pasqual, when he was called up, pitched in a couple games, nothing really eventful happened. He had pitched in Atlanta, the team at the time was in the middle of a pretty bad run. They had lost 19 of 21 games. They're in a bit of a slump. And Pasquale also had some troubles around this time. He got his driver's license, and he did not understand the map of Atlanta. He was scheduled to start on August 19th, and he borrowed a car. Someone told him, take I-85, and instead he got on I-285.
0: Ah. Uh. As we always discuss in my other podcast this week in urban transportation, 285s, 485s, and 685s are often loops around major cities.
1: I did not know this. I've never been to Atlanta. But when you look at the map, 285 is a big circle. Pasquale thought if he is on the expressway, he's going to see an exit sign that says Fulton County Stadium here. And Fulton County Stadium is right in the middle of that giant 285 circle, which is 60 miles around. <laughs> Later, Pasquale said this borrowed car, it had a big radio, and the music was really loud. He didn't see his exit, so he just kept driving and kept driving <laughs> for two and a half hours. Oh. And drove almost 150 miles before he said that the car got really hot and he was running low on gas. And he had to stop at a gas station. He asks the guy for $10 worth of gas. And the guy says, are you Pasqual Perez? And apparently this gas station attendant had been listening to the radio and told him, they're waiting for you at the stadium. <laughs> <laughs> You're 20 minutes away and gave him directions to the stadium. So Pasqual said he thinks he's going to get fired. He's still relatively new to the team. He gets to the stadium 10 minutes after the start of the game. And Joe Torre says he's going to find him $100. And Pasqual says $100. And Joe Torre says, no, 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 no. Ciento pesos. To which Pasqual then, a sigh of relief, because ciento pesos is only, at the time, worth 10 bucks. So <laughs> Joe Torre laughs it off. They fortunately had Phil Necro. And we know from the Necro Brothers episode that those guys would pitch on a day's notice just throw 150 knuckleballs and not think twice. So Phil Negro pitches on 30 minutes' notice and gets a win. The team turns it around, they win 13 of their next 15 games, and Pasquale becomes a bit of a local legend. They make him an i-285 Perez warm-up jacket. <laughs> he gets a couple nicknames: Perimeter Perez and i285, and the team ends up winning the NL West that year.
0: You know, driving in America is not easy and it shows a couple other things, how valuable the Necro brothers were and and their knuckleball that on 30 minutes notice that Phil Necro could pitch seven innings and get a win. And at the time, Phil
1: Necro was in the middle of one of his best seasons and he was the, the ace of the staff. And nowadays you cannot imagine somebody saying this guy didn't show up on time let's throw our ace out there on short rest <laughs> in the middle of a pennant race. Joe Torre later said that this incident led to maybe a little bit of a lightening of the team's mood. And Pasquale showed up right at the right time for, for Atlanta that year.
0: Yeah, broke their losing streak. So Pasqual finishes 4-4 four and four with a 3.06 ERA that year. And Atlanta wins the division. They win the NL West.
1: Earns them a spot in the NLCS. Game one of that NLCS against the Cardinals got rained out. Phil Necro started, and two outs short of an official game, which Atlanta would have won one to nothing, the umpires call the game due to rain. So they replay game one, and Pasqual gets the start. Unfortunately, he also gets a loss, giving up four runs in five innings. He later came on in relief in game three, with his team already down 4 to nothing. Atlanta couldn't come back. The Cardinals finished the sweep and end up winning the World Series. And unfortunately, that was also Pasquale's only playoff experience in his career.
0: Mm. Well, in 1983, Atlanta was still pretty good, though. They were in first place late into August before falling off and finishing second to the Dodgers. Pasqual has a, a great season. He's going 10-2 and to start the year and made his first All-Star game. He ends up finishing
1: 15-8, and so he fell off a little bit in the second half, as did the Braves, but a a solid season, seven complete games and a 3.43
0: ERA. So a good year in 1983. That offseason, though, brings us to the perennial 1988 Tops cocaine question mark, which in this case becomes cocaine, period. (laughs) It's unclear if...
1: Pasquale had been using cocaine before this 1984 incident, but in the off season, he's arrested by Dominican authorities with cocaine in his possession. So much cocaine that I've read they could have charged him with an intent to distribute cocaine. He ends up jailed for three months and misses the first month of the season, and this is just the first of many cocaine incidents for Pasquale.
0: So when he gets out of jail, he makes it back to the States and starts pitching in May of 1984.
1: And puts together another solid season. Coming out of a Dominican jail, missing all of preseason, and being able to put up numbers like going 14-8 and with a 3.74 ERA is pretty impressive.
0: Definitely. And this is where you start to see the flair and where you see him being impressive as an entertainer. We need to talk about the ethos pitch.
1: Pascual would throw this pitch that was later called the Pascual pitch. And in Montreal, they called it larc en or the rainbow, where he would go into his windup. It looked like he's throwing a fastball or a regular breaking pitch. And at the last minute, he would just bloop a pitch that would often go over the plate. And it looks like something that somebody should just smash out of the park and in this one video, we see Eric Davis just totally whiffing. There's another video of it with Andre Dawson taking what looks like a softball swing, taking two steps up and trying to crank the ball and instead fouling it off. And it's just this, such a ballsy move to throw just a nothing pitch. The Ephus the pitch was popularized long ago, but in, in the 1940s, Rip Sewell Threw this with such flair and and was so good at it that he ended up making an all star game, and the term Ephis was named by a teammate who was asked, "What does that mean?" And he said, "Ephis ain't nothing, and that's a nothing pitch."
0: Ephus means nothing in Hebrew. I think this is our first Hebrew language entry into the pod.
1: Yes, so- and it it is truly just a this bloop of a pitch that really anybody should be able to hit, but because of the being locked in on a fastball, it ends up being a 50 mile an hour extreme changeup.
0: Yeah, it looks like it looks like a softball pitch. It looks like someone throwing an underhand softball pitch. If when you're expecting a 90 mile an hour fastball, it's it's got to be very confusing to see that. Or to see a fastball after it. So In addition to this pitch, Pasquale had several, had so many different (laughs) unique things about him that endeared him to fans and infuriated opponents. So, yeah, the gold chains, the jerry curl, the pickoff moves that he would throw between his legs. There we. This is an episode, dear listeners, where you really want to watch all the videos that we put in the show notes and get ready to spend, like, try to f- spend a good hour watching YouTube of Pascual Perez because it may be the most fun that you have watching baseball in the year 2021. because The guy is just amazing. Between his legs pa- passing to, to pick off someone at first base, he's got the finger guns, like, leaping off the mound and shooting people you know, sprinting to the dugout after striking someone out to, to finish the side, covering first base and being so excited about it. And, you know, while his fans and his teammates were very excited and he was, you know, electric to them, opposing players and opposing pitchers were not amused. <laughs> yes. And in
1: 1984, he w- he was pitching really well until mid-August. And then he was involved in... An incident where some opponents were not happy with his antics. San Diego was in first place. They came to Atlanta 10 games up for a four-game series. And on August 11th, Alan Wiggins on San Diego is trying to bunt for hits a few times. And Pasqual's in the dugout, not pitching that day, and just yelling at him, swing the bat, swing the bat. Wiggins is yelling back at him. No big deal, right? You know, just baseball things. The next game, Pasqual starts... On the first pitch of the game, he hits Alan Wiggins in the back. <laughs> After which, every time Pasqual came to the plate, Padres pitchers tried to hit him. <laughs> Unfortunately, the Padres pitchers had really bad aim. <laughs> so in the second inning, Pasqual comes up and he squares the bunt. The pitch comes up and in at him, and he runs away with the bat in hand. He sees the catcher behind him, and he thinks, like, maybe the catcher's going to come after me. He he knew that they were gunning for him. So he runs away with the bat, using the bat in self-defense, which is probably not good. In the fourth inning, he comes up again. Ed Whitson, who had been warned, don't throw at the guy, misses him three times and gets ejected, <laughs> along with the manager. So every time they're throwing at him... <laughs> <laughs> Not only is the pitcher getting thrown out, the manager's getting thrown out. Finally, in the eighth inning, they hit him. Pasqual runs away while both teams run onto the field. Bench is clear. And this is just one of the greatest brawls.
0: We've highlighted some excellent brawls in this series, but this one really takes it. The Braves bench comes out so fast and they start picking out targets left and right although the original pitcher has has gotten away from the scene because he knows he's in danger just melee all over the place so after the after the initial brawl of several minutes things start to calm down and then right. things take a turn
1: while all the other players congregated out In the
0: middle of the infield, Summers headed directly for the Braves' dugout. He was held back by somebody. Here he goes. Summers charging after Perez. Bob Horner has come out.
1: We've got some fans involved now. Oh, my. Oh, my. This one is very close to getting totally out of control. Couple of fans have come down onto the field. Other fans were involved throwing things. There's still one fan down there in the middle of all that. Champ Summers, who was on the bench of the San Diego Padres, Champ Summers was a Vietnam vet who was awarded a Purple Heart and was involved in the Tet Offensive and then came back and went to Southern Illinois University and ended up playing in the majors as a 28-year-old rookie. So just a... (laughs) a great character as well. Champ Summers starts sprinting toward the bench to get Pasquale. Bob Horner comes out of the dugout. He had a broken arm and wasn't even on the field that day. He was on the disabled list. He had been up in the press box. He saw what was going on and realized, I want to get down there. Goes down to the dugout, gets in uniform. He comes out. The announcers are announcing this like it's a wrestling match. Fans are then throwing beer on the
0: players. It's just, it's madness. Two fans jump onto the field to try to stop Champ Summers from getting into the dugout. They get arrested. They get taken away in handcuffs. Yeah, Bob Horner, you got to love the mindset of, yeah, I've got a broken arm, but here, let me get down onto the field to get involved because we're pretty sure there's a brawl that's going to come up. So I need to make sure I'm there. And so things settle down. Finally, they, they get the fans out of there. Things calm down. And then you get to the ninth inning. Donnie Moore is facing Greg Nettles. In the
1: prior inning, Greg Nettles had punched Donnie Moore in one of these fights. (laughs) Donnie Moore throws at Greg Nettles, hits him, and there's another brawl.
0: Oh my gosh, it's amazing. After that, they
1: ended up clearing out the dugouts. So no bench players were allowed in the dugouts. Everybody had to go back to the clubhouse because they were afraid that the fans were going to fight the players again. They end up finishing the game... The final score, I don't. Pasqual got a win, so that's good for Pasqual. But there were three full on brawls with mini brawls. There's some WWE style.
0: Is that Champ Summers
1: running toward the. <laughs> it, amazing, just amazing. 13 players and coaches ejected, three Padres managers. Ozzy Virgil Sr. was one of the managers because once Dick Williams got ejected, Ozzy Virgil Sr. becomes the manager. Five fans arrested. Ed Whitson ends up shirtless. <laughs> but unfortunately, after the game, it seemed like Pasqual was shy about pitching inside. And he ended up going three and four
0: for the rest of the season. Uh, Atlanta doesn't make the playoffs. And this starts a, a bit of a dark spell for Pasquale going into 1985. He starts a season one and eight. And after a loss to the Mets in New York, kind of goes AWOL.
1: He disappeared. His agent later said that he was hiding in a Manhattan hotel, and he consulted a spiritualist who saw bad spirits around him. Unfortunately, the spiritualist didn't help. When he did come back from suspension for that disappearance, he went 0-5 in his remaining starts and finishes with a 1-13 record and a 6.14 ERA, which is really, if you look at his stat line, uncharacteristically bad for Pasqual. He also had three stints on the disabled list due to shoulder injuries and a couple of suspensions. And at the end of that season, Atlanta had had enough of the Pasqual Perez antics and he was released prior to the 1986 season. Yeah,
0: in 1986, there's no line on the card for it because he just didn't play baseball that year. I don't know what he did in 1986. It seems like he had
1: periods where cocaine abuse and other... Issues, let's say, took over his life, and then he would get back on track. And it looks like he got back on track going into the 1987 season. And the stat line on the back of this card is pretty amazing. With Montreal, he started the season. The Expos signed him to a minor league deal and sent him to their AAA team in Indianapolis, where he went nine and seven overall. But in June, he was six and zero with a one point four ERA, earned him a call up in August. And as we can see on the stat line here on the back of the card, he was lights out for the Expos in that pennant race in
0: 1987. 7-0 and, and a 2.30 ERA, 58 strikeouts and only 16 walks.
1: That was a hallmark of his career that he had really good control, which goes back to that, that brawl. When Pasquale hit somebody, they knew he meant to hit somebody. He didn't miss a lot. That 87 Expos team, they they didn't end up winning the NL East. They finished 3rd, but they went 91 and 71 and were really a revelation. They finished only 4 games out of out of the division lead, and Pasquale was a big part of that and an unexpected star. Pretty remarkable for a guy to go from out of baseball to 7 and 0.
0: Going into the next season, 1988, he was 12 and 8 with a 2.44 ERA. So really keeps that, keeps that momentum.
1: Similar to what we saw with oil can Boyd, Pasquale, it seems, found himself in Montreal, which is interesting because Montreal was known around the league as a place for players to get cocaine. I don't know if the maybe lax nature of it or the fact that they knew how to deal with it. At the time, they also had Floyd Yeomans. They had... Tim Raines, and, and a few other guys who had some some serious cocaine issues. But it seems like Pascual figured himself out, at, at least for this short period. In 1988, he also threw a five-inning no-hitter, something that we talked about in the Andy Hawkins episode. Pascual was throwing a no-hitter through five innings, and the game was called off after a 90-minute rain delay at Philadelphia. And in 1990, his brother Melito did the same thing and also had a called by Rain no-hitter. And then that villain, Faye Vincent, changed the no-hitter rules, striking both of the Perez brothers from the no-hitter role.
0: That is unfortunate for the Perez family, but this turnaround really helps Pasquale. It earns him a one-year $850,000 contract for 1989.
1: With that good news comes the bad of Pasqual, And in 1989, he entered drug rehab after a positive drug test. In spring training, again missing the beginning part of the season. He ended up going 9-13 in 1989, which was good enough to earn him a big paycheck. had a 3.31 ERA. Something that keeps coming up on this is you'll see Pasquale's record maybe not be very impressive, but he wasn't giving up many runs. He was surprisingly consistent with Montreal. He had a 28-21 record in three seasons with a 2.80 ERA. And that earned him a big paycheck
0: and looking at this highlight reel of his time with the Expos because this wraps up his time with the Expos he just had so many great moments and the fans there really seemed to enjoy him
1: this highlight reel isn't just strikeouts there's a you know there's a lot of those there's a lot of him sprinting off the mound after a strikeout there's also some really great defensive plays balls that bounce off of his glove, and he's able to then bare hand and throw out runners at the plate, uh, covering first base, sprinting to first base. Incredibly athletic guy, incredibly fast player, and just really exciting. And I think that Expos fans had a soft spot for Pascual Perez.
0: But that ends his time with the Expos. He becomes a Yankee in November of 1989 and going into the 1990 season. Signing a three-year, $5.7 million contract? Are you serious? 32 years old, going to New York, after a decent spell in
1: Montreal, and maybe they thought they were getting that 1988 Pasqual Perez. And the Expo's general manager said at the time, I hope the Yankees take good care of him. He is a very fragile individual, which seems ominous and... Yeah. <laughs> And it, it didn't go great. He was often injured and only pitched in 17 games over two seasons. But in those games that he pitched, he still had a 2.87 ERA. And going into the 1992 season, he shows up late for spring training. His brother, Melito, was also on the team at the time. They had his dad around trying to keep him on track. Half of the Perez family is in New York with them trying to keep Pasqual on track. And they couldn't find him. When he finally showed up, he would arrive every day to workouts in a limo. Again, mm-hmm. keeping that very uh, flashy Pasqual Perez lifestyle. Then he failed another drug test. And what came out at the time was that in 1989, when he failed that, that drug test with the Expos, there was an agreement. If he went to rehab, he could avoid a suspension. But if he tested positive again, he would be suspended for a year. He would have to apply for reinstatement to Faye Vincent. He never played again in Major League Baseball.
0: So he's out of the Major Leagues, but resurfaces in Taiwan?
1: Yes. In 1996, he shows up in the CPBL at 39 years old. That's the Chinese Professional Baseball League in Taiwan. He played for the China Times Eagles and went 4-1 with a 1.80 ERA in five starts. So again, a 39-year-old huh. guy pitching pretty effectively after after four years out of baseball. And I reached out to at Painted Cap again. So not only an expert in the airbrushed photos, but also an expert in Taiwanese baseball to ask him about this China times Eagles team. And he said that this team started with 10 members of the 1992 Taiwan Olympic baseball team. And that team won silver at the 92 Olympics. Unfortunately, they were also involved in a huge scandal and I've seen it referred to as the Black Eagles incident in mm. reference to the Black Sox. The team folded in 1998 after a massive gambling and match-fixing scandal. I don't think that Pasqual was involved in that, but it is an interesting story maybe for another time.
0: Well, that closes the book on Pasquale's baseball career. Career stats is 67 and 68 win-loss record with a 3.44 ERA which is pr- pretty impressive, considering 1985 that he had an ERA over six.
1: Andy went one and thirteen. He was an above average to very good pitcher in every other season outside of 1985. Yeah, that career record maybe not quite indicative of the career that Pasqual and the the flashes of brilliance that Pasqual Perez put on.
0: So when he retires from baseball, he ends up going back to the Dominican Republic. He retired
1: to the town of San Gregorio, where Melito became mayor. And I don't have a lot of information about what Pasqual was doing between 1996 and 2012, but in November of 2012, a group of men broke into his home, and they ransacked his home and attacked him and beat him to death with hammers. His body was discovered by his ex-wife, and Melito later said that his brother had suffered from illness. I've seen it described as liver illness or kidney illness, but he was not doing well at the time of the attack. At least three men were arrested, and one of those men knew Pasquale well, and he said that the plan was to steal his monthly MLB pension payment. One of the men took Pasquale's cell phone and sold it for $6.25. So he's, he's killed over a relatively small amount of money by people who he may have known and may have trusted. I've seen it reported that it was some low-level drug dealers or some acquaintances, but it's clear that something was happening here. And I haven't been able to find reports after the 2012 arrests of three people, but it's a really a tragic end to a a troubled life.
0: There's no way to segue from that, really only how to think about someone who had so much joy as a player and when they're living and then to be faced with the harsh reality of how they died. It's a really difficult thing when we come across these situations, David.
1: To watch this highlight video, Matt, as you said, it's just so full of joy, so full of excitement. And I could see why he would infuriate opponents with the smile and with his athleticism and trickiness and you know the the between the legs pickoff attempt is hilarious. the fact that he could throw 50 mile per hour rainbows or strike you out with the 90 mile an hour fastball, sprinting to cover first base, making great defensive plays he was a fun and exciting player but his personal life was clearly clearly troubled and without trying to diagnose the cause of his problems, it seems like he never, quite got away from it. And it prematurely ended a promising and exciting career that could have been great. This is a guy who should have been done after that 1985 season and instead was able to get his life back together and have a second career peak. And when he went to New York, how great would it have been to see that exciting Pascual Perez pitching for a great team in New York in the biggest media market in the world, but it wasn't meant to be and he fell back into some old habits. And I haven't found a lot about his time in retirement, but the scene at the end is just terrible. If at least one of these people knew Pasquale and maybe maybe he trusted them and they tried to take advantage of an ill person and killed him. So, I don't know. It's, it's tough. I, I want to remember Pasquale as the guy in the video, this big grin and gold tooth and gold chains and able to pitch shockingly well despite his many personal issues. The highlight video calls him the most entertaining expo to ever wear the uniform, which is a great tribute to Pascual Perez.
0: And that's how I will always remember him. And, th- and that is how we will remember him here on the show. So it's a full story and a complicated story. But those moments of, of watching someone performing great and making people happy, it's, it's quite a thing to see. So rest in peace to Pascual Perez. Thank you, David, for bringing us that story today. Thank you to Michael P. for the suggestion. And thank you to you at home for listening. If you've ever gotten lost on Atlantis Spaghetti Junction, we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Twitter. We're at tops 1988 Thanks a lot, and we'll see you next week.